My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking Podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, and their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to and you want to support the podcast, for as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Hey, everybody. My guest today is Vivian Castillo, founder and CEO of Humanity Center. Welcome to the show. What's good? Excited to be here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hearing it. You just got another snowstorm in Chicago. Oh, yeah. It was uh, pretty trash last night, but here we are. Yeah. I'm Midwest born and raised. Hey. So, you know, I was born about 90 miles north of Milwaukee. Okay. And I live in Chicago for a bit. So kind of since avoided the Canadian clippers and the polar vortexes. <laughs> but, you know, you learn to appreciate, you know, good weather and summers a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people give Chicago a lot of crap for our winters, but I actually think spring is the worst season because spring mm. is this two month of toggling between false hope and summer. And at that point, it's a mental game. Right. So it's all about yes. that mental fitness and endurance to get you through. But yeah. It is. It really is. People always like out here, because I'm in the Bay Area, people out here always look at me like really funny because I'm like, I cannot wait till winter solstice. The days are getting longer. Every day, the day is getting longer. And that's always kind of been one of my things, always looking forward to kind of moving into the, you know, warmer months. We know mm -hmm. February can be a beast in itself. But yeah, I just always remember, you know, once that 50 degree weather hits, you're like, okay, we might be out of this. Exactly. So yeah. So on that note, I just want to kind of get on a few icebreakers. Like what is something that you're just really geeking out on right now? Ooh, what am I geeking out on right now? Lately, I've just have been diving into the realm of financial health and wellness. I really believe it's the key to supporting a lot of professionals in terms of yeah. empowering them to push back against some of the demands mm. of these capitalistic systems. So I've been geeking out how to leverage capitalism on your own behalf these days. And yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Is that coming in the form of, is that like negotiation raises, like maybe give us a little bit more of an idea of that? Oh, I think, you know, part of it has been, I've been diving into content about the history of a lot of the organizational structures that we work within. So a mm. lot of productivity management systems that we see a lot in corporations today were actually yeah. encouraged and given to plantation owners to use within managing oh, wow. their slaves. So, mm. and I've been kind of just diving more into the context of that, diving more into yeah. the context of Black wealth within America. But also too, you know, I think for me, it's about what does it actually mean to be financially healthy and well? What does it mean to get your finances in a place where you can operate more from a place of freedom instead of fear? And, right. you know, in terms of wealth identity, that looks different for every person. You know, for some people, it might be, you know, investing in the 401k, the stock market. For others, it's building up real estate, you know. 
And so I've just been kind of in this place of probably this starts from the beginning of 2020, where I was like, how do I get out of this unhealthy, toxic, codependent relationship with corporate mm. America? And yeah. I've been diving more into that content, give a little teaser on this podcast in part because it's something that I think humanity centered, we're going to start exploring a lot more and being able to support more people so they can feel more empowered to push back at some of these systems within the design orgs and the companies that they work at. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you start thinking about like black wealth in America, we've seen a downward trend, right? Which is totally opposite of sort of like thinking about corporate culture, considering the companies are earning more and more money than ever and going through a rapid, aggressive expansion globally. So really kind of looking forward to learning more about that and how that correlates with what you're talking about as well, being like empowered to be able to push back. Yeah, we're in this interesting place where, you know, black wealth has historically been on a decline for a minute now, but yeah. we're also seeing an increase in black spending, but we're also seeing, mm. especially like the pandemic, an increase of black folks leaving the workplace and doing their own thing and starting their own businesses. Yeah. So we're seeing this boom in black entrepreneurship. And again, it's not just focused on the black community for me. I'm trying to understand the right. context of systems of oppression, because if I can better right. understand that, then uh, everyone wins. You know, we can all learn right. what does it mean to be more free. So I'm kind of a nerd. I, you know, I wish I was geeking out on like pottery or like a new hobby, but I, I love reading. I love learning and I love just helping people feel more free and like they could step more into themselves. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, this is a no judgment zone, <laughs> right? So geeking out can be anything. Hey. Do you do anything like outside of work? Like what are your, your go-to <laughs> hobbies? Do you have anything around that? I do. I know I'm like passionate about all the things I do for work. So sometimes it, it feels like an overlaps into hobbies. But no, sure. I love I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty simple person. Like I love spending yeah. time with, you know, my friends, family. I have two nephews who are both under the age of two. So love playing with the babies. I love yeah. traveling. I love learning new things. Yeah. You know, whether that is doing like an online Airbnb experience or reading about like, why does everyone bugging out over crypto. I right. love I love writing. I love riding my bike to a dope playlist that I've made on Spotify. So yeah. and uh I got my motorcycle license last summer. So I'm oh, looking snap. forward to riding once it gets a little warmer. Wow. What kind of bike is this? Are you like riding like a chopper, a Harley, <laughs> like like a sport bike? Tell us more. Yeah, I, I definitely lean more towards like cruisers. Yeah. But I'm still trying to figure out you know, what, what bike do I want to buy and invest in? But, right. but yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love Chicago. So I'm always out and about in the city. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. So last question. Okay. You don't have to be in the TV to answer this, but if there was a reality TV show or a sitcom, which one would you want to be in and why? Definitely more of a sitcom because I feel like reality TV is just that's a lot. I'm already trying to, I've already been thriving this pandemic. I don't need to be in a reality TV show. That feels unnecessary. For a sitcom? <laughs> and am I like, uh, I'm just acting in it or am I one of the characters in it? You know, you can be either or. Be either or. So that I, I mean, there's a few shows I've been really enjoying, but I think it'd be fun to be on the show Good Girls. Just like, this is funny. And I just, I appreciate the dynamics between the characters. So if you're looking for like a good laugh and a good storyline, Good Girls is the way to go. What is Good Girls? Give us a quick synopsis. 
Yeah, Good Girls is basically about these three really good friends who are moms and they end up robbing this grocery store. And what they don't know is that the money that they rob from the grocery store belongs to this gang in the area. And so now they're kind of in, it follows their journey of them kind of paying off their debt to the gang and getting more involved mm. in the criminal world. And they're like, mm. you know, middle class, like women in the suburbs. So it's just, it's super funny. The dynamics are just... Yeah, it's good. It, it sounds like it. It's good. <laughs> I didn't expect for it to take that kind of a twist, but yeah, yeah I can see it. It's a good one. Yeah. So, hey, Ian, thank you for, for opening up with those icebreakers. It was really kind of fun to learn about a bit of your interest. But let's get to know a little bit about yourself. I only announced you by your name and, and what you do, <laughs> but maybe kind of tell us listeners about yourself and a little bit about your journey to where you are today. Yeah, I'll do my best to time box it give you a shorter version of the story. But yeah, I'm Vivian Castillo in Chicago, have mad love for Chicago. And my background is originally in counseling and human services, specifically mm. trauma and addiction counseling. And I ended up, you know, in a former life, I was working a lot with men in prostitution, people in gangs, people who are homeless, people in addiction, ended up making a career switch in part because I had a mentor at the time who was encouraging me to find a creative hobby with a beginning and an end. Because yeah. in therapy, you never finish something. And so right. just be kind of like the therapeutic nature of like starting and stopping something and having that type of hobby and ritual in my life. And so at the time I was living on the East Coast, my dad was living back home in Chicago and I thought it'd be cool for us to have the kind of like long distance nerd dates with me learning how to code. And so I was like trying to teach myself how to code as a hobby. But, you know, as I was online looking at different programs, learning that some of these programs are also teaching something called UX design. And I had never mm. heard of that. So I just started yeah. on this rabbit hole of learning about UX design, which then takes me over to UX research. And after learning more about UX research, I was like, oh, I could do this. I do a lot of this already. It's just about semantics. Yeah. It's about understanding how this, right. how does this industry think about people and transferring my skills over. And was just so fascinated, loved the intersection of, hey, this is something where I could bridge my love for people with business and helping others. And so decided to make a career switch in that moment. And, you know, for me, I didn't want to go back to school. You know, I already have two masters. I already owe yeah. Sally Mae a lot of money. Don't want to give her another dollar. <laughs> and so, you know, I went the self-taught route. So, you know, yeah. really just, I put myself on a very strict schedule. I was waking up at like 4.35 a.m. just consuming, studying, wow. podcasts, books. And I also yeah. knew that mentorship and sponsorship would be important to my career. So hmm. ended up was really fortunate to have, you know, some seasoned folks in the field opted to both mentor and sponsor me. You know, I view mentorship as people who are willing to pour into your career, into your craft, yeah. into your skill development. Sponsors are leveraging their professional capital on your behalf to open doors, to open opportunities. Right. So I ended up going that route. And so was this something that you knew immediately as you were kind of going down or were you kind of always kind of bumping against a bit of a roadblock? That I knew that I needed mentors and sponsors. Yeah. I think it's something that I knew. Part of it is my mom is in HR. So yeah, mm. my mom was like very intense. You know, my mom's half right. Jamaican, half Korean, you know, moved over from South Korea to the States when she was 10. They're typically yeah. your immigrant Asian parent. So, yeah. you know, doing mock interviews and stuff since like middle school, kind of like my mm. upbringing, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I knew that, you know, relationship and community is how you make it in business, how you make it in corporate. Right. So, but mm. I ended up going to the O'Reilly Design Conference and it was my first time, I, you know, I want a scholarship to go because tickets are super expensive. And yeah. I remember being super excited because a lot of heads of that, you know, design were going to be there from Airbnb, from Uber. And I was really excited yeah. about hearing how they talked about empathy and inclusion and diversity. <laughs> and after the conference, I'm kind of sitting in my hotel room and I'm sitting on the bed. And I'm like, wow, this is bullshit. Hmm. And like for me, just like we just had a very different, you know, coming from a counseling background, very different understanding exactly. of what does it yeah. actually mean to be empathic and human centered. And there's this fine line between pity and empathy. And I felt like mm -hmm. the ways I was hearing these leaders talk about it made me realize there's something really broken within this industry. Actually, the one speaker who gave me hope and who I got super excited about was Kat Holmes. Yeah. And uh, and I remember... She's the author of Mismatch. Yes, Kat Holmes. So, yes. and I remember yeah. reaching out to her after the conference. We kind of, yeah. you know, we're LinkedIn friends. We were Twitter friends for a little bit. And then we both ended up working at Salesforce. Our time overlapped mm. for a little bit. And now she's yeah. just someone that I deeply respect and is a good friend. But anyways, after mm. that conference, you know, went home and just started writing this mini series on Medium called called Why Most Conversations and Talk About Diversity Are BS and What to Do About It. Mm. Really just to kind of like vent out my thoughts. Right. That led to me being invited to a conference where I was able to meet with, and I was speaking at this conference around DEI and tech. And I met a, a couple uh, leaders within DEI, a couple of women of color, and they took me out to dinner afterwards. You know, at the time I had just gotten my first gig at this small digital agency. And so these three women sat me down and they're like, you can do better. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you need to leave digital agency. You need to like be more involved in like, corporate America, you know, join one of these big companies, work among, you know, more seasoned folks, but also they're like, we need you to step more into your voice and share your ideas. So I ended up actually getting a job at Google in New York. And Google for me, you know, Google was ever the dream job. Right. I learned a ton. It was a culture shock. It's my first corporate tech job, you know, having literally roasted duck and steak for lunch. Like why? We don't like, we're not curing cancer or anything. And for me, I ended up leaving because uh, I'm a very justice oriented person. Yeah. I had a hard time dichotomizing a lot of the unethical things I knew were happening for my paycheck. And so I ended up mm -hmm. leaving. There's a longer story for another day for that. Went to Weight Watchers, you know, was helping them to be more holistically human centered in their approach to design and the digital experience. So working more on that mindfulness, mental health aspect of the product. Had a interesting experience there. I'll just cap it at that. And at that point, I was like, I need to get back to Chicago. I need to get back mm. to the Midwest. This East Coast life yeah. is not for me. And ended up moving back to Chicago where I was working at Salesforce. And at Salesforce, I was a researcher and innovation consultant. So I mainly worked with C-level executives of their largest customers to help them yeah. think about how to be more holistically human-centered in their approach to design and business strategy development. And then because of my background in counseling and human services, was also brought in to work with internal and external leaders about the things that get in the way of innovation. So yeah. things like fear of failure or shame. Think about like group therapy for executives was kind of like yeah. what I was doing. And also too, you know, had an interesting experience in that, you know, even though I was there for two years, by year one, 
had developed really good relationships with some of the C-level executives, like texting, FaceTiming basis, was helping to shape internal policy around DEI, was helping to drive conversations towards meaningful change and invited around, okay, what does this look like at an organizational level? The shorter version is that I ended up leaving in March of 2021. So I'm about one year sober of my corporate experience. You know, I I started Humanity Centered while I was still in corporate in the summer of 2020, mainly because, you know, I was venting to a friend one day about how I was just so tired trying to fight for trying to get people to care about people at Salesforce. And she challenged me and she's like, you don't need to wait for, you know, your company to validate your ideas. She's like, go Mm. it outside of Salesforce. And so I did. And that's where Humanity Center came into play. And really, and honestly, it's probably one of the greatest pieces of advice I've ever gotten in my career. It's like, you don't need to wait for your company to validate your idea and your dreams. Go build it without them. Mm. Yeah. And so I did it. Yeah. Look, one of the things I find interesting about that story, again, this kind of goes back to the mentorship and the sponsor. There were sort of these pivotal moments where there were people that told you to move beyond what your thinking was. Yeah. Right. And I think that is a really underlying important lesson here. Right. Because I think a lot of times, like I was thinking the worst was going to happen when folks got you at a round table, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my goodness. But the fact they told you to to kind of do that. And I I also think another thing that were kind of thematic about that, that no matter where you went in that corporate journey, there were things that just weren't right. I mean, I even (laughs) think to, to some of the internal sort of things that you speak to. But even in sales, like it seems like your work at Salesforce, you're working with a lot of external partners that were unwilling to kind of think about these things. One more question I have for you here is like, you know, when you when you went to that conference, like where was that in your career? Was that early on? Was it something early that you were able to recognize that something wasn't right? Because I think a lot of times this is a journey for a lot of people, right? It's not until they're deep in their careers and they're like, oh, then I realized. Yeah. Maybe kind of take me through that right quick. Yeah, it was early on in my career. I mean, I was so sold on this industry being human-centered, caring about people, doing the work to do so. And then, you know, because you read it, you hear about Mm -hmm. it a lot. But then when you're in the room and you're hearing these leaders talk about it, it was just like, whoa. We have very different understandings of this. And also, where are the Black people in this room? Where are, like, the Indigenous First Nation folks in this room? And so, for me, you know, fortunate that it was early on in my career where I was, like, kind of shook out of the marketing around UX and design. You know, I've been incredibly fortunate as well in that, you know, I've when I entered this career, I've been very intentional to not view any employer as the center of my career. It's a part of my career, Right. Not my career. So I've been really intentional building my own voice, my own, you know, for lack of better words, brand, my own like thought work instead of yeah. over indexing on this relationship to right. an employer. It's probably one of the reasons too. like I don't have like former Google, former Salesforce, whatever mm. my profile, because like who cares? They right. were a part of my career, but they're not me. And right. I think it's why one of the greatest pieces of advice I got Because I actually ended up taking short-term medical leave before I left Salesforce because I was so burnt out and tired. And I remember feeling scared. Like I felt like I was losing myself. And I'm sure many of us, you know, for folks who are listening, like you've had those moments where you're like, am I losing myself? Like Mm. when you feel less grounded in your why. And so I I took time away. And one of the things that my therapist challenged me on and that we worked on while I was on my leave, was she was like, you need to get really clear on who you are 
outside of what you can produce. Mm. Because a lot of the capitalistic systems that we work within are banking on us to tie our identity to them. Right. And so I had to get really clear on who I was outside of what I can produce. I had to get really clear on the ways that corporations and organizational structures can exploit, you know, my own unresolved trauma or my own areas that need more healing and ended up just investing in me so I could be more grounded in, in my purpose and my why and make decisions yeah. that were based off of that versus a place of scarcity and fear. Yeah. It's really an interesting thing. It's like you went in the corporate culture to get away from being on all the time. <laughs> right. Right. And then you found yourself holding on even tighter. Being, yeah, exactly. So I just want to ask this question to maybe kind of, I want to picture this and you don't have to answer it if it brings back any sort of trauma, but what does losing yourself look like? Yeah. Ooh. So at this point in my time at Salesforce, I was doing everything I was hired for in terms of my full-time job. Yeah. I was navigating toxic management relationship, you know, mm. working through institutional betrayal, which, you yeah. know, institutional betrayal, it actually mimics a lot of PTSD symptoms, but institutional betrayal is essentially when you follow the rules of the game right. and the company fails to protect you and support you. Right. So I'd filed all these HR reports, other people had filed them on my behalf and like nothing had happened. Right. And on top of that, I was doing internal and external executive consulting basically on behalf of right. the company. And so for me, losing myself felt like a few different things. It felt like I had no space to breathe. It felt like I remember being scared and being like, I don't know if I don't do something different, I'm afraid I won't be able to work again. Yeah. It felt like I was being incredibly reactive and operating more so out of a place of fear. Right. I was questioning my gut a lot more. Mm. And, you know, honestly, someone a few weeks ago had asked me, how do you know that you've been healing from some of the workplace trauma and hardship that you've experienced? And one of the first things that came to mind was, I feel less afraid. Mm. I'm less afraid. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm trusting my voice and my gut more. I'm not second guessing myself. I'm willing to take more risks. I'm more, instead of an opportunity presenting itself and I'm so quick to think about why it won't work, what are the barriers, why it's problematic, my mind right. is more quick to switch toward that of abundance, right? Of like, ooh, how can we build mm. on that? How can we right. go deeper with that? It's a different type of vibe for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, like for me personally, when you're kind of in this kind of ideation stage, yeah, that for me gives me energy. So I can yeah. definitely understand that. Like the yes, but there's always a catch. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And usually you have to kind of recenter that on yourself in terms of like, how might this affect me? Yeah. So I appreciate you, you taking us through that because I know it's obviously easy to talk about, but that's a lot of shit to go through yeah. for an extended period of time. So I'm glad you're able to, to really take us through that journey today. And, and I want to kind of touch on what you're building now, right? Yeah. So we yeah, can yeah. put that in the past where yeah. it needs to be. Take us through Humanity Centered and what it's about. We already know why you started it. So. Yeah. But maybe go into it a little bit more. Yeah. And, and I'll say one last closing thought before I transition sure. into that is one of the greatest things that I recognize and have been recognizing since I've pulled myself out of an unhealthy workplace experience, a toxic one, is that mm. 
my more healed self is actually becoming less compatible with people who are mm. more used to relating to me when I wasn't well. And yeah. I didn't realize too how much of sometimes workplace survival is trauma bonding. And so yeah. the farther you get away from trauma, the farther you lean more into healing versus coping. Because they're, th they're two mm. different things. When you lean yeah. more into healing, like your circle changes. Like the right. energy around Ooh. you changes. Yeah. And, you know, it becomes more conducive towards your healing and your ability yeah. to to be more creative. I like a month or two out, I was noticing excitement and creativity coming back that I didn't realize I had lost. Mm. Like, yo, before there's a vibe. I was like, right. this? Like, yeah. Yeah. And so with that, you know, I think it's been such a treat to lean more into humanity centered. Uh -huh. You know, I started humanity centered in the summer of 2020. And when I left in March of 2021, I ended up fully investing into that. Hmm. And with humanity centered, you know, we essentially professional growth community and consultancy that are helping professionals do the personal work required to do their best professional work. Within that, you know, we take a trauma informed approach to how we think about the ways that you approach design, the ways that you approach organizational culture and development. And what I love about humanity centered is, I mean, the team, like it's amazing to work with people who are not only passionate about the work that they do and caring about others, but they're passionate about caring for themselves and caring for each other. For example, this year, we have this theme of rest and abundance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about, you know, we don't want people to outwork us, but we don't want people to outrest us. And so what does that mm -hmm. mean for us? And how do we support each other and hold each other accountable to that? What does it yeah. look like for us to attract opportunity instead of chase it? Mm -hmm. And what does it look like to be incredibly clear on the types of clients we work with that yeah. you know, don't rob us of that energy and that peace? Because, you know, for us, we operate out of this belief that what is meant for us is meant for us in a big way. And that inner peace is the new success. So we have just been leaning into care for each other, boundaries. We don't say yes to every client that wants to work with us. And right. just in having that freedom to do so, we get to work with clients who are ready hmm. to do the work, who have leadership, who are willing to begin that journey from comfort to courage. And, yeah. and we primarily touch on kind of like three areas of content, so to speak. Ethical practices. And within that, what does that mean for designers? What does that mean for leadership? What is the role of language within that? Culture and management. You know, what does it mean to be a more trauma-informed leader, a more trauma-informed yeah. organization? How do you actually address systems in order to get the change that you want from individuals? And then the third one is on well-being. So, you know, we believe self-care is an ethical imperative. We believe that you know, yes, we need to be more human-centered towards others and in our work, but you got to learn how to be more human-centered to yourself. Right. And so we're, those are kind of like the three areas that we support individuals in, as well as a handful of corporate clients right now. Yeah. So I wonder, like, have you noticed a lot of the, like, these three areas? Have you seen those really kind of bubble up to the top, like, with everyone kind of working remote in the pandemic and whatnot? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is I remember even the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. I was talking to this executive and I was like, I think it's great that you're talking about stress and burnout, Finally. but you need to be talking about trauma because everyone's yeah. traumatized. And he's like, oh, I'm not traumatized. I was like, oh, no, I'm not asking. I'm telling right. everyone's traumatized. And he's like, well, no, no. If anything, my workforce, they're even more productive. They're putting even more hours. I'm like, right. Because burnout is characterized mm. by under-engagement, whereas traumatic stress wow. is characterized by over-engagement. When you're burnt out, wow. you're not having this renewable source of energy to get stuff 
done. I'm like, that's right. trauma. And I'm like, there's going to be a point in time. So this was early 2020. I was like, there's going to be a point where, you know, this whole, hey, we care about you. We're worried about you. But sniff some lavender and get back to work. There's going to be a point where that's just not going to fly. And the way right. that you treat burnout is very different than the way you treat trauma. Mm. So I thought it was super entertaining to see a lot of these companies pat themselves on the back and celebrate yeah. how they're giving their team one week off. Because all a quick mm. Google search will show you is that one week off doesn't even begin to deal with burnout, right? Right. And so it's just this like performative thing. And you saw the way that companies were using things like resilience to gaslight people into doing more, right? Like the problem right. isn't us and the systems that we have in place that are requiring you to be more resilient. The problem's you. You need to be hmm. more resilient. Here's some articles. Here's some mindfulness tracks. You need to improve and change. And so, you know, I predicted to that executive, I was like, probably late of 2020, throughout 2021, you're going to notice an increase, people leaving their jobs, increase in FMLA leave requests. Because right. people, I was like, the thing about trauma is when you don't deal with that, trauma will deal with you. And a lot of times our minds and our bodies will suppress symptoms of trauma until it feels like we're safe enough to process it. So I was like in the summer when the vaccine starts getting out, I'm like, you're going to notice an uptick in people quitting, leaving and just not having it. And so now right. we're in this place where these companies are like, oh, something's not working. And it's like, yeah, you've been gaslighting an entire workforce for two years. Focus on burnout instead of trauma and taking accountability for the systems that you mm. allow to exacerbate it. So right. companies are recognized things aren't working. But what companies are not thinking about, not only trauma, but the cycles of trauma, right? So humanity-centered, we think about our work within the context of trauma. 2022, it's a midterm year. So people are leaving now. Right. New trauma agitates old trauma. What do you think is going to happen in the fall? With like midterm exactly. and like right. in the way that that's going to be impacting people. What do you think that's going to happen over those two years leading up to right. the next election and the year after whoever gets elected? And so we're doing a lot of, you know, we have a lot of people who are reaching out to us who are attracted to the work that we do. One, because we're willing to talk about the things that their companies are scared to talk about. And two, executives like working with us because we're able to speak into the things that they're afraid to say. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. I would almost imagine and you let me know if I'm on or or off base here, but it feels like this whole concept of the great resignation is a bit of what would you say denial? Like companies aren't really admitting that their workforce is burnt out or, you know, they're traumatized. They're now theming it as, hey, you should expect this to happen. Yeah. Is that is that on point? Yeah. I feel like even the great resignation, it's putting too much of the focus on the individuals versus the system. Yeah, right. Like people aren't seeking employment. They're seeking deployment, right? Mm. Like another thing too that a lot of people aren't talking about that we talk about with our, you know, the, our clients is you have four generations in the workforce. So I was like, I'm going to stereotype and generalize a little bit. Gen X and baby boomers were kind of taught, hey, toxic workplace. It's just kind of, hey, you deal with it, it is. you suck it up and you do your time. Whereas yeah. Gen Z millennials, uh, we're more diverse. We've had the privilege of being able to talk more openly about mental health and racism and justice in the workplace. But more mm. importantly, we'll quit without a plan. Like foosball and right. free lunch won't keep us there. And so right. it's actually a business imperative for these companies to actually learn how to care about people because who's making up most yeah. of the workforce in the next 10 years? We are. Right. And so I think at first people kind of, you know, mischaracterize Gen Z millennials as like, oh, they're just too sensitive. They're too entitled. They're too wishy-washy. And it's like, no, we saw 
what happened when you just deal with toxicity and we want something better. And if people think Gen Z and millennials are radical, I don't even know what that generation is going to be like coming in after Gen Z. <laughs> like, right, right. So we'll be the ones that have to deal with it. I, you yeah, know, yeah. I imagine we'll approach it with a bit more empathy. <laughs> I mean, for me, the future of work, it's not necessarily remote. It's trauma informed. Yeah. Future of work mm. is trauma informed. And the companies right. that are starting to invest in that and get that now are going to have the most success after. Yeah, that's an important take, right? I think a lot of what we hear, or at least what I've heard in, in conversations with some of my peers, right, is like microaggressions are definitely a thing that you tend to feel in the office. I think another thing that you start to even kind of read about, which I've honestly just been like, why are we okay with this? Is just like you have a shitty manager or you have a shitty executive, how to navigate around them and then make them feel good because of their personality. Like this isn't a healthy experience. And why are we normalizing this? And so I really appreciate that take because I think it really all really encompasses a lot of those types of yeah. things. So one last thing I want to kind of dive into, I want you to kind of talk a bit about the critical UX workshop that you've got going. I think you're opening up another one soon. Yeah. So we have, uh, we're doing a few half day events this year. The okay. one that we have coming up right now is March 4th and it's called, it's our critical UX event, lifting the curtain on ethical theater. And it's essentially, hey, we want to move towards maturity in this mm. topic versus trying to be relevant. So we're right. bringing in some dope panelists to actually have some more meaningful conversations. And also, too, practically, what does this look like when you apply to the practice? We have our humanity-centered masterclass, which is a live cohort experience. That's our bread and butter. It's what mm. played a role in Fast Company naming us one of their most innovative design companies in 2021. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. Hey, so that starts in April. Within that, too, we have our new facilitator who's going to be a part of that, Dr. Danielle Hodge. Her expertise is in critical race discourse. She also studies the role of hip-hop culture and Black feminism mm and the influence that has identity politics, et cetera, et cetera. She's dope. So she's going to be teaching some cool content around there. We'll be diving into topics like how to apply an ethically mature framework to your practice. How do you overcome scarcity mindsets within teaming and the ways that impacts design and collaboration? All of those things. Those are our two immediate things coming up. Amazing. People can hop on our website and see what else that we have around the corner. We have a couple other surprises that we haven't announced yet. Uh -oh. But uh, uh oh, oh. We're doing some things. We're doing some things this year. <laughs> <laughs> so for folks that are listening, like Vivian has a look in her eyes and a grin. Yes. She's like, yes. Let's get it. I've like, I've coined the term quarantine scheming. <laughs> But uh, I, I love to see the excitement and your your face just light up at this because, you know, this is something that the industry needs and it needs folks that are passionate about it and, they, and that could call it out for what it is. Yeah. So just know that I respect you a ton and appreciate the work that you're doing. And then is there any last words or advice you want to want to leave for the listeners before we log out? Ooh, any last words or advice? I mean, something that comes to mind and, you know, this is a lot of, you know, Alba is always reminding me of this about how, you know, hope isn't a scarcity and how critique is a signal of hope. And so <laughs> my desire for folks is to lean more into the things that unsettle you because that is a signal that you haven't given up. That's a signal that you still care. And I think to an earlier point that I made as well, like a lot of folks probably who are listening in have dreams, desires, interests, and they may 
They may feel like it's not being validated or they may feel tempted to give up on it, but you don't have to wait for your company, your manager to validate those things. You can build it and lean into it without them. And I would encourage people to reevaluate their circle and to, to get around people who are for you, who can hype you up and you see you, you can value what you have to offer and bring. Damn. Let's get it. Those were, those were, those were all facts. Like you did that off the top of the head. I was like, yo, hey. this is great. <laughs> Vivian, thank you so much. Good luck with everything. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And for listeners, be sure to check out those, those workshops. We'll be sure to leave links of that in the notes so you can follow up. Otherwise, see you later. Thanks, everyone. Well, that concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support. And it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks, but in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.